Broadcasting live from McDowell's, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Gareth Strother. I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. What, what's up, everybody? Hello, it's Ricardo. <laughs> Every time you get me with that, goddammit. Alright, let's let's move into some news, boys. Hell yeah, baby. Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle, finally getting his own movie. And it looks like they're going the the Spider-Man homecoming route where they pick like an indie guy and give him this big teenage superhero franchise. Well, I looked cool. into the into the guy, the director they have set for this is Angel Manuel Soto. He's got like a I think an HBO Max original called uh Oh, the name escapes me. It's crashing something, but it's that's like his first feature. I think he's mostly done shorts before, so he's pretty new. I, I'm I'm just excited for this. This is our Black Panther, man. <laughs> yeah, I remember people were real excited when I think Blue Beetle was gonna be in the second Injustice game. People were pretty pumped. That was I think one of the first times I heard about him. He's interesting. I've I've skimmed through a couple comics before, and I mean. I don't know where this falls in the DCEU at all, but I mean, you know, the more good standalone, uh, you know, more obscure hero movies, the better, I think. So I'm pretty pumped. More like the DCPU. Oh, roasted. (laughs) Kindergarten dunked on. (laughs) Charm City Kings. That's the name of the movie uh, that Soto has did before. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really know much about uh, Soto as a filmmaker or anything, but like I said, there's some there's some gems in that in this modern DC era, and uh, you know I'm hoping this can be another one in there instead of just like another forgetful, lame DC movie that will probably just like sweep under the rug. It seems to be kind of in the same vein as Shazam, so they're the kid superhero. That's what I was gonna say. Is there any is there any comics where they team up? I feel like I did remember that it was kind of a kid who gets these powers. Like you know, those guys know the bare basics, right? Why don't you Why don't you just give it a quick rundown for the for the people who don't know? Uh, Blue Beetle Jaime Reyes gets the the Blue Beetle Scarab, a piece of alien technology that grows a, a suit of armor around him. It's kind of like kind of like Iron Man in a way, where it's a suit, but the suit is also like a consciousness that talks to him, and they don't always agree on what to do because the the suit is programmed to uh, murder and genocide oh my god okay so it's like a venom situation i was gonna say venom meets yeah a little bit (laughs) that sounds like it could be super interesting i mean that's that's a really strange angle for a superhero movie but i'm interested and speaking of shazam we also have a bit of shazam sequel news yeah, Rachel Ziegler, who is best known for a movie that's not out yet, uh, <laughs> Maria, in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, has joined the cast of Shazam! Fury of the Gods, a subtitle I actually hadn't heard yet, so I don't know if this was the announcement for it or what, but that alludes to a bigger scale for the second Shazam movie, for sure. I mean, I hadn't heard that subtitle either, but I love Shazam, the first one, with all my heart, and... uh you know, any any new news about that, I, I'm happy about. I, I Like you said, uh, Rachel Zegler, not really a name that we would know anything from, but... I Maybe mean, she's one of the gods. Yeah, probably, right? Maybe 
because so, there's already the full cast of the Shazam team. It's like our boy and his like foster family, right? Well, there's one. I remember there being one spot left. There's oh. like one god left unclaimed. Right. Yeah. Hey, maybe she's the one. Who knows? Well, I assumed it w- it was gonna be like Black Adam or something, but they didn't really go anywhere with that in the first movie. So it could be, you know, they could go anywhere with it. That'd be such an awkward team. So this close knit uh, foster family, and then also the Rock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds awesome to me. And then even more DC news coming up is that there is a Superman reboot with writer Ta-Nehisi Coates and J.J. Abrams producing. Ta-Nehisi Coates, who hasn't actually written any major feature films yet, he's done some work for HBO Max and Oprah Winfrey with TV, and then he's mostly known as a journalist and traditional author. So a lot of his work actually has to do with white supremacy and the Black Panthers. His father was a Black Panther in I'm the 60s. I'm throw this in there. He's uh, written some Black Panther comics, too. Oh. Mm, yes, that is true. So he's not new to the superhero game, per se, but a lot of people are speculating that maybe this could mean uh, an African-American Superman coming up. Which, yeah, man, let's get some... Like, Just I would like love a... song. Is there a song? Yeah, you don't know that song, Black Superman? Mm-hmm, I know the song, Black Superman. Seamus, we know you're just not as cool as us. Why don't you, why, so... why don't you sing a few bars for me, boys? Let's hear it. Let's <laughs> it hear was those... in that OJ show we watched. Oh, damn, then I probably would recognize it if you sang it for me, Ricardo. But this isn't the musical episode. Damn it's... it. Well, I mean, I will say the last Superman I saw, Man of Steel, didn't do anything for me, so I think a Superman with a little bit of, like, you know, actual emotion and a little bit of pathos in it would be a very warm welcome. Wouldn't that be unique and exciting? <laughs> God, let's let's hope they can pull it off, you know? I mean, the direction DC is going is a little strange compared to, like, what they were originally attempting with the Justice League, but... You know, so far I haven't really hated the disconnectedness between the movies. I, I it's made all the movies much better. That's yeah, for sure. I, th- I think that no, is one hundred percent right. No, I, I love this. They just like, you know what? Just make whatever. It does, it does, it don't matter. Don't try to connect any of this. Yeah, Marvel's got a a monopoly on the extended universe stuff. DC can just have fun and do episodic adventures instead of trying to make it. They don't need to be Marvel. We got Marvel. You know. Do you guys have casting picks for Black Superman? Um, Who is the buffest black man in Hollywood? I mean, Idris Elba, right? I was going to say that. That's pretty good. I feel like I also... Terry Crews. Oh, just insanely (laughs) hyped Superman? Yeah, that's true. I guess Terry Crews. I feel like Idris Elba. I always feel like... Because I feel like I cast him as uh, Green Lantern in my head a million years ago and never got that out of my head. Absolutely, yeah. Very similar characters. Mm -hmm. I think Aldous Hodge from One Night Miami and the Invisible Man would be a really good Superman. Oh, that'd be interesting. Because he's ripped, but he's still kind of, like, slim, and he's got that altruism... Yeah, that's true. Like, nice guy wholesomeness while also being tough. Keegan-Michael Key. <laughs> Just go a completely different direction Just with Bananas it. Superman. <laughs> I'm excited to see where they go with it, but we've also got some Marvel news. 
First off, Kevin Feige says that there are no plans for any R-rated MCU films other than Deadpool 3, which is not really surprising to me at all, and I think the only reason they're doing Deadpool 3 R-rated is because they can't afford to not have a property as successful as Deadpool make movies, and they can't do Deadpool not rated R. But what about Blade, though? And yeah, we kind of touched on this before, of like, Blade is a notoriously gory, messed up, like, really bloody vampire franchise, so I would imagine there might need to be some exceptions made down the line. I don't even remember when Blade is supposed to come out, but I, uh... I don't know. Garrett, you think they can do Blade PG-13? I think that there are enough other ways to get around gore and still have the violence be unsettling. I mean, I think they could go the... I mean, this isn't in line with comics, obviously, but the MCU has shown it's more than willing to derive from them, or depart from them, rather. I think they could have them dust, like Buffy does, where they just, like, turn in... where they kind of, like dust away um there has been a very recent mcu property that did this weird like drinking from the wrong grail shriveling up effect that i think could be effectively translated to maybe some kind of vampire death like i think there are ways to make i don't violence know people disturbing. Would, would go on board with that man isn't it it does seem like kind of a downgrade because they're vampires there should be blood and we talked about this before Blood's weird uh, and gore and stuff's weird in terms of ratings because you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as the blood isn't red. But they also get... Often you can still get away with things that are closer to human gore if the characters are, like, technically not human. So I think mm. that... I don't know. There's a lot of wiggle room there. There's a lot of things they could do. And I also... I don't think... Like, Blade is a cult character i would say more than something like a captain america or even like an iron man at this point that they could probably get away with departing more from the comics than they like they already change so much all the time that i think they really could probably get away with some kind of wiggle room around this yeah they'll make them like scroll vampires or something and just make their blood not so dark red or something. I don't know. They'll, like, I think I agree with you. you know, they'll find some way to still make it satisfying enough. And the weirdest bit of Marvel news this week is that Spider-Man 3 officially has a title, No Way Home, after the three lead actors posted all different fake titles, Home Slice, Home Wrecker, and Phone Home, which are kind of silly little titles, and it was a good way to get buzz going around it where everybody was posting different titles before they revealed the final one but i do wonder if you guys think that these are possibly some kind of tease for what we're to expect in the new spider-man or if they're just kind of like fun references i actually i didn't have a theory about any of these until right now reading them for like the hundredth time but you know something about like home wrecker honestly i remember reading theories about how maybe uncle ben in the mcu hasn't died yet and he's more of like a just like a bad father figure that left aunt may and peter and that the mm. great responsibility whole stuff doesn't come until maybe this movie or a future movie where they'll eventually kill him again but 
I don't want Uncle Ben to be a deadbeat. <laughs> well, that would be an interesting take on it. Like, why don't they ever talk about Uncle Ben? If he was dead, they wouldn't, like, avoid talking about it. They'd be like, oh, yeah, he was great. We love him. Or we loved him when... Whatever. There's just, like... There's barely been any mention at all through any of the movies that Spider-Man is in, so... They're just divorced. They're just being weird about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know where they're going to take this. I mean... Home Slice makes me think about Pizza Time. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) And. What could Phone phone Home home, then be? I mean. Well, I mean. E.T. Phone Home, classically. The literal. Yeah, but what does that have to do with Spider Man? The last thing Spider Man did was come back from outer space, come home from outer space. Or perhaps. Phone home is just bringing some E.T. vibes in because, you know, maybe some scroll stuff, maybe some Captain Marvel stuff peeks its head in. He's, maybe part of the solution he's comes hide from Toby Maguire in his closet. Yeah, I, do it up. He's like in a pile of stuffed animals and it's just a one human face. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if these have any correlation at all. We're going to have to wait, you know, a minute. To find out. Could be a clue thing. Maybe we'll all go to different theaters and it'll just be, uh... Oh yeah, that's another big Three thing about this. Three <laughs> Three different whole movies, though, is what I'm saying. They, also, with this announcement, didn't they say, uh, only in movie theaters this Christmas, right? Yep, Christmas. Which is soon. Yeah, that is... That's really soon. Also, only in theaters. They're really banking on that vaccine. No more variants. I think a Christmas release isn't being unrealistic at this point. I'm hoping so. I got the appointment for my vaccine. What? Look at you, Ricardo. Congratulations. Did you, like, fake your age on your forms? How are you getting one so quick? What are you talking about? It's like old people and stuff still, isn't it? You just gotta be 18 and over. I went to a place, they said, yeah, here's your appointment, go to the nearby high school, and they'll give it to you. Well, damn, I gotta get jabbed. I'm trying to go see Spider-Man at Christmas, (laughs) man. Damn. (laughs) Oh, I don't want the vaccine. I want pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet MCU J. Jonah Jameson is against vaccines. <laughs> oh, definitely an anti-mask. <laughs> oh, 100%. yeah. <laughs> oh. Up next, we've got the Luca trailer, Disney Pixar's newest film. And the animation style is off-putting. You don't like it? What are you talking about? I love this animation yeah, style. Yeah, I, I didn't I hate it. It looks cool. I don't know, it feels just a little too... Everything feels a little bit too round for me. I don't know, it just it's just a little odd. It's It feels more like a, a Sony animated film mm. to me than like a Pixar style. It, it almost reminded me of like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs at some point. Like there's... That Sony animation certainly. Yeah, I know, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it yeah. definitely did have that vibe a little bit. Um, well, with Mustache Man? Yeah, the Mustache Dad no looked eyes. like uh, Flynn... What's his name's dad? Is it Flynn? Finn? Flint. Flint. Right. Like Michigan. Flint. Flint Lockwood. That's a good-ass movie. Can't you hear Mr. T screaming, Flint Lockwood? <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> oh, that's the best. Luca. Definitely, I think it looks sweet. Uh, it's just about, like, friendship and the summertime, and they're in Italy. It, it just looks like a really wholesome... Pixar film. And horrific fish bigotry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sea monsters. Sea monsters. I, how did you... 
omit that Sorry, part. I forgot. They're all sea monsters just trying to have a good old Italian time. Nobody likes them. Do, they, do you think they have to eat fish? I like fish? their transformation bit. Every time they touch water, they go from human to fish form. Yeah, there's that great spit take yes. gag where <laughs> they surprised and he turns like partially into a sea monster. Yeah, it's looking good. I mean, I, th- my only gripe is I don't really jive with the animation style, but I think the rest of it is very intriguing. I mean, Pixar likes to do this where they just give you, like, this is just a little taste of, of what the premise is and we'll get the plot later. And So, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah, we'll check it out. Yeah, I think it's cool to see Pixar doing something a little different than their usual, like, art style. I don't know. We'll see how this turns out. And then Paramount Plus, gentlemen, we've we've bemoaned it. <laughs> we've ranked it the very bottom of our streaming service hierarchy. And maybe we'll have to reassess that, but also maybe not. Because they had tried to have their own Investor Day marathon of announcements with James Corden talking at us. And we just got a whole slew of news and I'll, I'll rattle off some stuff real quick. This is just highlights. Um, we've got the Beavis and Butthead movie coming to Paramount plus another one, a live action, fairly odd parents series, a halo series and a Rugrats reboot. Wow. That's a lot of stuff. I'm honestly, yeah. I'm surprised to see the fairly odd parents <laughs> thing. I mean, obviously surprised that it's live action. That's insane. But also because, I thought Netflix had that uh, Nickelodeon deal. I thought it would have ended up on something like that. Yeah, I think Paramount's probably really kicking themselves for making that Netflix deal now because they're trying to get all of this exclusivity. Like, I think, honestly, if Paramount Plus had had exclusive streaming rights to Avatar, that would have been a big draw for them. But they don't because Netflix has also streaming rights to Avatar through that deal. So yeah, the Fairly Odd Parent series, I am very curious if it's going to be a continuation of the original, if it's just going to be a straight up reboot. What I think that's it might doing. be straight up reboot. They've done continuation already, like three that's times. That's true. That's true. Uh, the Rugrats CG reboot looks like a PS2 oh, game. Jesus God! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It, lo- it really it does. Looks so Maybe bad. that's why I kind of liked it. I don't know. I like. The- Maybe that's it hit a a tone of the it's not great. I'm probably not gonna watch it, but from what I saw, it's like ah oh, that's it looks oh, fine. That was kinda funny, a little bit. I mean that's very strange. I don't know why one wouldn't just go watch the originals or the classic all grown up series that I totally watched for so long, <laughs> but jeez. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'll hit that one up. The Halo series maybe sounds more interesting. They've, they've kind of gone off the rails it's, with their games in the last couple installments. but It's co-produced by Showtime, which means that it'll have a decent amount of money behind it. And, you know, I think the idea of a Halo series is interesting, but, I mean, I say it all the time on The Mandalorian, but I really do not know how you're going to make Master Chief a compelling series lead. If that's the direction you're going. Yeah, goodness God. Let's see if they'll even do that. They might just make it another helmeted Spartan guy to just kick alien ass. They won't even yeah. bother with trying to like keep series continuity. They'll just be like, oh, it's a new guy. We can do whatever we want. That would seem wiser I to think me. so too, yeah. And then kind of related, but it's not clear exactly how related, 
Nickelodeon is launching Avatar Studios to create new original content set in the world of Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, one of the things that they announced is already in development is a theatrical animated film. So it's kind of tricky because this was all part of the Paramount Plus announcement, but, you know, you've already got that live-action series in the works at Netflix. You've got this theatrically released animated film. So it sounds like this Avatar content's going to be spread kind of thin. And so I'm very interested to see how that actually ends up manifesting in terms of, you know, actual return on investment. Like, if you're having a Netflix series, presumably a Paramount Plus series, and a theatrical movie, are people going to get confused? Are people going to pay for a Paramount Plus subscription and a Netflix subscription and go see the movie? It's just, I don't know. It's just a lot, I think. It's, it's, people were asking for, like, another season of Avatar, or, an, people were asking for, like, another Avatar series. And instead, they're just like, oh, you wanted Avatar? Well, Cannonball, boys. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a like, lot. I'm in it. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah, you want that? I, I'm, I'm still very new to Avatar. I kind of got sidetracked with Naruto, so I haven't really gotten farther into the original Avatar series. But I don't want it to be, like, soured with all of this extra stuff, like, going in every well, direction. It's a whole a whole ass world it's not like it's gonna follow the same character yeah i know but like but i think it's it, it's a lot still it's 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 like star wars where it's just like so much yeah if you were like just but getting into now... the original trilogy and then you got hit with the like disney investor day stuff it's like oh 30 shows maybe not also imagine if they in addition to having disney plus shows and the movies coming out they're also like also there's some that you're only going to be able to watch on hulu and, you know, granted, if... Because I know people really love The Legend of Korra is, like, pretty pretty popular with the fan base of the original, too. And if they can keep, you know, the level of quality high like that, then I guess there's no real problem. But it still seems like it's a lot to pull off. There's a load of, like, sequel comics they can pull from. They came out with, like, a Avatar Kyoshi novel, I think, either last year or two years ago. It's like a thousand years worth, of, or something, a ridiculous amount of years worth of, like, past avatars even they could pull from. Yeah, man, uh, that would be an interesting way, because there's, like, that, it's like a whole line of people that are avatars. They could just do, like, a pre-history thing. Yeah. My hesitancy here is not with their ability to make new, compelling content. My hesitancy is with the confusing rollout that is going to come from the nature of the multi-platform spread. Well, we'll see how well they could pull it off, and... You know, by the time I get back to the original series of Avatar, if I'm already, like, tired with the amount of stuff, maybe they will have screwed up there. But I guess that's for the uh, Avatar we, fans to decide. We should we should do it. Yeah, maybe. For the show, there are, there are spots in the schedule, I know, because I found them. <laughs> you want to slip the, the original Avatar series in there? Yeah. I think it's only man. four seasons? Three. Three seasons, okay. Wait, if I remember correctly, I think it is, yeah. Oh, we'll see. If those new ones are any good, we'll do the original series and then the Shyamalan movie. Because I've always wanted to see the Shyamalan movie. That That's actually pretty fun because I've done it. It makes the Shyamalan movie <laughs> so much funnier. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. All right. Next up, 
we've got news that Star Wars Republic Commando, originally for the original Xbox and Microsoft Windows, is coming to PlayStation 4 in April. Yeah, this is uh, this is a big one for me. Yeah, this this is the first time it's ever been on PlayStation. It's getting, you know, completely remastered. I don't know if there's any word on if the multiplayer element is going to be attached and remastered as well, but the story alone on this one, guys, is a lot of fun. It's it's I don't know. It's classic Star Wars first-person shooter. Uh this this game, I believe, was actually vaguely put into canon with a few episodes of the Clone Wars where the Delta Squad is in it. I, I don't right, know how sure. deep that goes, if that's just like a little Easter egg for the people that played the games, but, you know, I think that this remaster kind of signals that we're either in for a sequel or maybe some more, you know... uh Delta Squad being brought up in any of these new Star Wars properties that are, you know, being updated all the time, and, uh... I mean, Bad Batch is coming May 4th. That's what I'm saying, you know? I mean, so, there's there's always a way to slip in the Delta Squad. They're, they're, they're a lot of fun, and I think, you know, you guys should definitely check it out. I don't know if either of you guys played that original one, but... No, I wanted to. There was a there was an ad for it on, like, my Attack of the Clones <laughs> Yeah. DVD. Oh, yeah. So it's freaky. Yeah, I'm not like gonna to lie. It it's really it's like there are parts that are scary. It's also hard as hell. If I'm being honest, like it, I have it on Steam, and it took me a long time to get through it on Steam. But you know, I'm excited for this remaster to say the least. Especially because it's coming like next month. Like I'm, I'm pretty pumped. April sixth. Yeah. Well, if they if they bring the multiplayer element over, maybe we'll hop on together. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be a blast. Fun. Last bit of news, the band Daft Punk has broken up. No more Daft Punk music. Yeah, it's been I think they've been together for like around like 30 years. I know they started in the 90s in France and you know, they've done a a lot for the electronic music industry to say the least. Um I think they also they did that Tron movie, didn't they? The the reboot Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I, they did. Do I Tron heard that's Legacy, like yeah. one of the only reasons that 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 Tron Legacy is like good. Good is because of that soundtrack. Tron Legacy is a fascinating film. It really is. Like in that it should not be good, but it is kind of char. There, it has a charm to it. We'll we'll probably cover it for the show. They're gonna do a new Tron. I, I remember. So. I want to watch the original Tron. That movie's freaky. That's just like a weird one. But yeah, no more da- no more Daft Punk. I'm not a huge Daft Punk fan, but you're right about there is really no way to adequately convey what they did for electronic music in the mainstream. Yeah, definitely. They're icons, man. Everyone knows those helmets. Hell yeah, that's that's like some music hall of fame stuff right there. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they haven't really been making new music for the last many years, right? I think this is kind of like a just more of a definitive ending to their careers together but i think it's been when did that pharrell song come out you know that get lucky song that was like 10 years ago dude i think that was like my freshman year of high school yeah but that wraps us up for news let's move on to our main segment coming to america not with the two with the one Our main segment this week is the original 1988 classic Coming to America starring Eddie Murphy. We're prepping this week for the Amazon original coming 
to numeral two America, which will be coming next week, likely as our main segment, depending on how bonkers the WandaVision finale gets. My dad and I started it when I was probably 11, and then we got to the bathing scene, and then it was turned yeah, off. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, Coming to America for the first time actually a couple weeks ago with uh, the Fam Squad. Ooh, the Fam Squad crew? I mean, we loved it. Yeah, I, I really like this movie. It's really not as dated as you would expect it to be. Which really surprised me. Like, it, it definitely feels early 80s and not 88. I mean, the beginning of this movie, we get a nice fade-in from the Paramount Mountain. That's how you know you're in for a treat. Oh, yeah. the Paramount Mountain becomes something in, in the world. I really like that. Do you work for Paramount Plus? <laughs> yeah, oh, we're, no. we're, we're really plugging that Paramount today. If we really are. That's crazy. Well, we, now from this movie, we know that one of the many locations of the Paramountain is... Oh, wait, what is the name of the country again? Excuse me, Zamunda, sir? Zamunda? Sorry, my yeah. uncultured ass forgetting this wonderful country. Learn your geography, Seamus. I, it's, it's right between Wakanda and I can't think of another fake country. Hold on, I got this... Uh, what is it called in Commando and the Predator and all those Schwarzenegger movies? Valverde, there it is. <laughs> there Between we go. Wakanda yeah. and Valverde in South America. Is that in Africa? Nope, it's in, it's in like, Cuba region, I think. <laughs> they take, like, an hour... Cuba region, they t- as everybody calls it. They take, like, an hour plane ride over the ocean in Commando, and they're just, like, at Valverde, so I don't know. <laughs> um. Also... Quick note, the Zamunda National Anthem is the same as the Fredonia... Oh, there's another. There's another fake country, Fredonia. The Fredonia National Anthem from Duck Soup. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. This movie's chock... Like I, I, like I said, the first time I've seen this movie, and it is so chock full of like little Easter eggy things in here, man. I, I was kind of blown away by how much they could cram into it. 100%, and, I mean, like I said, this movie's a lot less dated than I expected it to be, and it's just really good. The supporting cast is spectacular, forgetting how good even Eddie Murphy is. Like, John Amos, James Earl Jones, I mean, Arsenio. Oh my god, on. yeah. Dude, I love Semi. <laughs> He's so good. He's a very fun friend character. The Queen's joke is so stupid, but it's so elegantly done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, hey, it makes complete sense. Where are you going to go? You're, you're a prince trying to find a queen. It makes makes sense to me. It was, Ugh, it, what a spectacular. It thing. was like, it's such a classic, you know, fish out of water story, but it was so much more wholesome than I was intending. Like, I was expecting it. Like, he's having the time of his life in a terrible apartment in Queens, living off no money, working at a McDonald's ripoff, and he's just, like, loving the people and the culture, and, I don't know, it, it, I was expecting a lot more of that dated humor that would make it seem way more, I don't know, offensive, probably. I'm saying this right now, McDowell's is one of the greatest comedy bits of all time. <laughs> you like that? I love the McDowell's bit. 
where he's like, it's really good. he's chasing off the cameraman, like, get out of here, get out of here. It's the people from McDonald's trying to spy on him. <laughs> I also love his burger phone. I think that's so funny. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. No, that's that's totally on brand with that like super intense fast food guy. I will say the production design is so good in this movie, except in the McDowell's house. Go on. I mean, I I, I didn't find any problems in the McDowell home, except for the fact that in- Mr. McDowell like screamed, like "Yes, King, they're here!" <laughs> <And>, like <laughs> through an open door, and nobody heard that. But on Lisa's door. There are, like, a couple of, like, novelty bumper stickers that say, like, I get paid weekly, very weekly, but, like, it's supposed to be W-E-A-K, <laughs> and it's just, and it's a bunch of stuff about how she's, like, always spending money, and I'm like, that is not in line with this character at all. She doesn't care about money. It, That's the whole thing. It definitely did look like a young teenager's room. And I know Eddie Murphy is supposed to be 21 in this movie, which is insane, <laughs> but like everybody looks a lot older than maybe they're supposed to be. I think I think I looked it up. Eddie Murphy was like almost 30 when this movie came out. Yeah, I mean he looks it. Yeah. Sure. But also I wasn't expecting this movie to be a Trading Places sequel. Have you guys seen Trading Places? I haven't, but I've definitely mixed up the those two movies in my mind before. Trading Places is a fantastic film with some really abhorrently terrible blackface. Um, so I've heard. Dan Aykroyd, I want to say? Dan oh, Aykroyd. Buddy. Oh, yeah. It's really bad. It's really, really bad. Um, It's a great movie, but that <laughs> is really bad. I mean, now is as good a time as any to acknowledge the fact that John Landis is a bad dude, and... It sounds like it was horrible on the set of Coming to America to the cast and crew and tried to sow division between Eddie Murphy and the rest of the crew and all this stuff. And, you know, I don't like John Landis. I like a lot of John Landis movies, but he's a bad guy. Anyway, Trading Places, though, the main antagonists of that film, which came out five years before Coming to America, are the Duke brothers, which are then the old guys the the homeless guys that eddie murphy gives money to in this movie that is right yeah that because that that was too important of a moment for those homeless guys to be just nothing i had to like do a little googling (laughs) after i paused the movie there yes those those are the duke brothers from trading places so you guys should watch trading places with a just giant disclaimer of like man this is really there's some problematic jokes in this movie. But. Yeah, just look up the image of that, like, Disney Plus disclaimer of, like, hey, this was a product of the past, we're not going to alter it, though, and then watch the movie. But also, even for 1983, like, yeah, not yeah. cool. 1983 like, wasn't 1964, so... But, I mean, really funny Eddie movie, Murphy Eddie Murphy kills it. Cinematic Univoice. It, it mm. really is some kind of early version of that, though, right? Oh yeah, 100%. There's all kinds of... All John Landis movies have little in-jokes to each other, which we'll get to in our pop culture reference for this week. Actually, there's going to be a little bit more to talk about there. But back to the movie at hand. I think John Amos, he stood out to me for so many weird reasons in this movie, and I I don't know, I thought he specifically is one of the more side characters. He killed it. Especially because... He's not, it would be really easy for him to just be this 
greedy, antagonistic figure, but they do give him some depth and try to make you understand why he is the way he is and that he genuinely does want what's best for his daughters. And, I mean, it's such a weird, off-the-walls performance, but I think it does speak to the fact that, like you were saying earlier, Seamus, this movie has a lot of genuine heart to Mm -hmm. it. Like, it really is... Stick. It does stick to its guns in a lot of ways about what class means and that it follows through on its early promise of Eddie Murphy really does want a wife who chooses to love him and lets him or and the movie lets its female lead Lisa make the ultimate decision about whether or not they're together, which lots of rom-coms, even with similar messages, don't do. Now, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but I would love to talk about that choice at the end. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, I think it's implied that there's just a whole blanket spoiler everything over over this 32-year-old, <laughs> 33-year-old movie. Right, right. Just, just making sure. Uh, did she not, like, <laughs> maybe I just, like, looked away or something, but she straight up denies his, like, proposal and then... He goes back to his palace, and he's going to have his wedding, and then she's just there. That's just that's the next thing that happens, right? Nothing else changes between those moments? No, nothing else changes. I think, and it would have been nice to get one scene in here that did it a little bit more, but it's already a pretty long movie for being a comedy. I, yeah, it is like two hours long. Um, But the implication there to me is that he did, you know, lie to her for most of the film, and it was Sure, it was for a admirable reason, but he still lied to her and then immediately proposed to her. And so she, we, she cannot be expected to accept a proposal immediately after that without having time to process it. So I, I mean, it is a little jarring and also a little obvious at the same time. But I, I think that character work tracks because they do such a careful job of making you understand her psyche in that moment. I mean, yeah. It's a- well, I, I took it that his parents kind of, like, talked to her and explained it, or, like, that's how she got to the the wedding in the first place, because the queen, uh, yeah, doesn't she, like, reprimand uh, James Earl Jones? That is true. Like he has some kind of change of heart. That That is true. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's, it's multiple characters' arcs completing that she's able to be... The, it's John Amos... And James Earl Jones and Lisa's arcs, they're all allowing that moment to happen. Yeah, I guess it wasn't too. It just it just did catch me off guard. It felt like they kind of wrapped that up pretty quickly, but it definitely fits within, you know, what these characters experienced in the, the two hours that the movie is. Uh I thought <laughs> one thing they didn't wrap up was the sister and the weird soul glow boyfriend who just like kind of <laughs> well, get together they kind of wrapped it up Seamus I guess. I'm just gonna, like... <laughs> you think that guy wrapped it up though I don't think so oh I hope I hope so but I uh, uh, because... while we're on the topic of soul glow uh, <laughs> which by the way re- really funny uh, running gag with the whole Jerry girl thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> That there that villain guy, Jerry Curl villain guy, has one of I think just a great introduction that sets up everything you need to know about the guy. Starting from like the, the Soul Glow billboard, following following him down to his car with the really really good for no reason, like jingle for Soul Glow. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> and you instantly you know you know everything about this guy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's something I like about this movie that you don't see in comedies a lot now, is it's really patient, is it really takes the time to set up its characters and set up its premise, which makes the comedy pay off way more when you start getting to other moments in the film, like where things start coming together. Mm. And yet, like, uh, a newer comedy film, I don't think would take that amount of time to introduce that character, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this movie's got great visual comedy. Yeah, 100%. The, the little airport bit. <laughs> What's the little airport bit again? With like, all the luggage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No one can know. Like, <laughs> I won't say a thing. Yeah, that was pretty great. Man, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the clumps element to what everything is happening. <laughs> that made me laugh so many times. It actually shocked me during the credits when they were, were crediting all the characters they played. Oh, man. Yeah, just between the the barbershop guys, hilarious. The mm-hmm. the preacher, the weird like prince guy, uh, and that bit wore thin on me. That was <laughs> that was that was too long. But <laughs> the bad prince impersonator. Yeah. But I did love the club scene. Yes, with Arsenio giving in drag, giving himself the perfect spit take. It it was really great. <laughs> it is. Such a good spit <laughs> yeah. take. Is it the best spit take ever? It, it could be one of the greats. The Hall of Fame of on-screen spit <laughs> takes might have that one on there. Also, definitely a spiritual spit take, if not a actual spit take, at the end when he opens the door and screams. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great, too. And then slams the door and opens it with a smile. Very good. So, so good. Oh, that... Old Jewish man was Eddie Murphy. Am I insane? Is that a bit in the credits, or is that really him? No, that's, that's really, Eddie Murphy. That is the funniest. He was one of my favorite characters. He's just so <laughs> New York stereotype. Just like the old Jewish man in the barbershop, just talking about the old days. It's so funny. They there's a interesting behind the scenes story where Eddie Murphy wanted to make sure that that makeup was good enough. So he drove around the Paramount lot in a golf cart, got out, and said to people in his normal voice, Hi, I'm Eddie Murphy, and then people wouldn't believe him. That is awesome. <laughs> That's such a cool way to test your prosthetics like that. But I mean, I, I would not... I, there's no way that I knew until the very second that that credit came on screen that that was him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. I didn't know he also, was going to do a clumps thing going into this. That was yeah, a, me neither. A delightful surprise. Yeah. It's classic I think Eddie Murphy the first movie he did it. We gotta talk about Sam Jackson. Oh my god, yeah. Surprise Samuel L. Jackson appearance. You love to see it, though. He's like at the bottom of the billing, kicks in the McDowell's door with a shotgun, screaming and yelling like he, like he does. It's great. It's really good. And Eddie Murphy takes him out. I like that they make him so competent. Because the obvious joke with that character would be to make him want to be down and working class but then not know how to do it and not be competent but that this movie actually takes the time to make him sincere and competent and able to handle himself well i think is really admirable maybe that's why i think there is such a wholesome nature to this because like you said if it was a different kind of fish out of water story where he's like incompetent and miserable that's just like it's like punishing a character for being different in the you know wherever he is but he he comes to queens and he's like you know the worst thing that happens to him really is that he's like shedding all of the 
like his gold toothbrushes that he <laughs> that that guy tries to sell back to him. You know, it's not like. <laughs> Like, he's learning these lessons voluntarily and, like, being really grateful for all the stuff that he's going through in a lot of ways, and I don't know. I, I Yeah, you really get to... You grow to love Akeem as a character. Yeah, he seems like a like a nice and, guy. And, yeah, the thing you said about him being competent, he's just, like, a very earnest guy. He's always, like, kind of in a good mood, even though the city of New York constantly <laughs> harasses him. Yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, it's cool to see him go full Wakanda on <laughs> Samuel Jackson. Jackson. Just take him out. Yeah, yeah, that, that was really good. Wh- what does Arsenio say? He says, freeze like you... you diseased rhinoceros piddle. Yeah, yeah. Piddle. That's a good one. I hope I hope we see Sam Jackson, like, fresh out of jail in the sequel, for sure. Coming to take revenge on McDowell's again and just gets his ass kicked. Honestly... If the plot to coming to America was going to be Sam Jackson's out for revenge against <laughs> Akeem, they could do a lot worse. Yeah, right? I, I've i seen a couple of the trailers for the new one just because they are plastered everywhere. And uh, I think the story is something about, like, he has to go find his son? He's, like, a son that he never met or something? Oh, that doesn't sound very good, does oh, it? Oh, did you, do you not know anything about this new one? No, I know literally <laughs> nothing about the new one. So it's it's like Borat. Uh, well, it's an Amazon. It's an Amazon and original. It takes place you, in New York. You, and... you know, you know Amazon. If 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 it worked once, you bet they're gonna try it a thousand yeah, more real. times. Yeah, I don't know. Where where do we do we miss anything extra important? I, I there's so many good gags in this movie that it feels weird to not like go over all of them. But we'd be here all day. Dottie the dog is one of the best payoffs in cinema history. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that Dottie the dog... it Because they do the classic 80s, like, cut to the dog for the reaction shot or whatever. But then that this little dog ends up being <laughs> sick. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Curl's guy? Uh, yeah, what's his name? What's the character's name? God, we, we didn't say it before, I don't think. What is that character? Daryl. So yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good thing I liked. Also, real quick... The fact that James Earl Jones and Madge Sinclair would later re-team to be the leaders of Pride Rock and the Lion King. Yeah, he, he's got a lion pelt over him, like a yeah, kingly lion pelt. Literally. Yeah, I thought that was gold. Even though, like, that means, because Lion King obviously came out after this movie, so the fact that they were like, <laughs> the fact that uh, at the Disney Animation Studios they were like, it would be really funny if we did a bunch of Coming to America Oh god. How about how about in the where they don't they like spike the lens like two or three times? Oh, it got yeah, me, that, man. I mean, that is the John Landis special. It's, it's wonderful. Um it comes out of nowhere. I do not expect it. Because they've got okay, there's the one where Daryl at the end when he's in Patrice's oh, yeah. bedroom, who we know Patrice will she's ready yeah, to go. She's a, she's yeah. Randy. Um and so you get that, and then what are, what are the other ones? Wasn't wasn't one of them see me? Oh, when the arranged marriage bride starts barking, Eddie Murphy looks at the camera. <laughs> oh my god! And when Akeem and Semi first get to the apartment, Semi looks at the camera. Gold. It really caught me off guard. I I didn't really think this is. <laughs> I mean that like you said that is the Landis special pretty much, but I don't know. Definitely got me. Well, I would love it. If you guys would check out Trading Places, because 
I think it's better than this movie, even though it definitely has aged worse than this movie, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I feel you. Yeah, I think we're I think we're ready to move on. Yeah, I think so. This movie was hilarious. I I really loved it. Honestly, it's it's just a Eddie Murphy classic that if you haven't gotten a chance to see, you know, check it out before the new one. I I'm sure the new one will be fine. It'll still probably be pretty funny, but this one just has that great 80s comedy feel and it's going to be hard to recreate that. Yeah, man. This is just a solid flick and it's one of when I saw it for the first time like again a couple weeks ago, it became one of the very few movie couples I ended up actually caring about. Huh. It's very it's got it's got heart. It's really really funny. Uh I'm I'm really glad I just watched this on a whim. Now let's move on to our pop culture reference of the episode. Today's pop culture reference is See You Next Wednesday. The line originated from a line in 2001, A Space Odyssey, when astronaut Frank Poole's father is calling to wish him a happy birthday. As he's signing off, he says, See you next Wednesday. And for whatever reason, director John Landis decided that this was something that he needed to put in all of his films. So, pretty much in every John Landis thing, there is a movie poster for a movie called See You Next Wednesday, but the genre and content of the movie changes wildly. Sometimes it's like a weird sci-fi movie. Sometimes it's a western. It could be anything. And it's so popular that it's made its way into all kinds of other works that are not related to Landis at all. Um, A lot of them, I think, in a lot of ways, paying more homage to Kubrick and 2001 than paying homage necessarily to Landis himself. And so obviously this is relevant because we were covering Coming to America today, which has a Subway poster for See You Next Wednesday starring Jamie Lee Curtis, which of course was in Landis and Eddie Murphy's previous film together, Training Places. And I would not be surprised at all if we see See You Next Wednesday pop up in Coming to America, coming to Amazon Prime. Yeah, I don't know if... Is this, like, the first one of the... Like, this isn't the only filmmaker I know who does something like this. Like, uh, Tarantino's Red Apple Cigarettes, or J.J. Uh, Abrams does uh, Kelvin gas stations. But I feel like this is the er- one of the earlier ones that I, I know. Well, Kubrick himself has CRM-114, which, oh, of course, is, is derived from Serum-114 in Clockwork Orange. Actually, I don't know if that was the first one, but it's how it manifests in that film, which is kind of a clever Serum-CRM. Um, and you'll see that pop up in tons of other stuff, too. And the only example I can think of right now outside of a Kubrick film, for some reason, is The Prison on the Moon in Men in Black 3. <laughs> wow! What a weird pull, but okay, I believe you. That's too weird to not be true. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, it's in, you know, it's in Doctor Strangelove. Doctor Strangelove is the first one. Okay, so in Back to the Future, one of the things in the laboratory is CRM-114. There's all, like, there's just all kinds of in-jokes in all kinds of different science fiction films or even non-science fiction films. Um, which that's Kubrick. So, I mean, that could be its own pop culture reference, to be honest, but we're talking to you next Wednesday, but it's interesting when you look at 
You know, that's obviously derived from a Kubrick film, and then Kubrick had his own kind of director trademark. If you look on the surface of the moon, it says that same thing. <laughs> he left it there when he faked the moon landing, but he was such a perfectionist that he did it for real. <laughs> Take that, moon truthers. I also don't want to, and you can definitely cut this too, but I want to say that I read somewhere that Eddie Murphy was inspired by Dr. Strangelove for this movie to do the multiple characters and the prosthetics. Oh, interesting. I... I hadn't heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. I want to say I read that, but, you know, that has less to do with this actual pop culture reference than, like, when I should have brought it up before, so. Well, but, I mean, it's just showing Kubrick's influence on this film. Yeah, very true, very true. All right, let's move on to our pop quiz. Pop quiz. Okay. Seamus, are you ready? Are you ready? Is this, is it going to be a continuation of your comeback streak? God help me, I hope so. Well, since you won last week, that means Ricardo's going to get to pick the category this week. Your options, wow. Ricardo, are your options, Ricardo, are coming to America or Luca. Luca. All right, you guys know how this game works. The first one of you to give me the correct answer gets the point. If neither of you get it, or you both say it at the same time, that means that we're going to move on to our second category, which will be our tiebreaker question. Coming up with our Luca question. Pixar often includes references to their upcoming projects in their films. What sneaky reference to Luca has already been found in Pixar's previous film? Oh, it was a poster, a travel poster for the island. (laughs) Or the country, the town, whatever it was. Seamus got it. Seamus got the point. I can't wow. believe that he actually stood the by the comeback streak. streak. Lives. Portoro Rosso, which is of course a play on the Studio Ghibli film Porco Rosso. Damn. Did did I? Why do you? Why know do that? I know that? It's because Seamus. of my dear little friend Reddit r slash movie details, baby. Did you know that? Did I just outspeed you, or did you not know? Yeah. Oh. How did you know it, Ricardo? I I know things. Seamus doesn't usually know. Yeah, things. man, I'm 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 smarter now, baby. I'm coming back. <laughs> Seamus is scouring the internet. He's like, he, he's he's on. He's just searching movie trivia in Google and scrolling through every single result. <laughs> that's how I. That's how I'm getting smarter, boys. I'm the Terminator, and I'm just absorbing information. Well, Seamus, this means that you're only a point behind Ricardo. The score stands 6-7. I cannot seven. even believe it. Ricardo, you're going down, buddy. I'm, I'm getting my confidence back. If anyone's winning Garrett's house, it's going <laughs> to be me. Oh, that property will be mine, Selgato. Now it's time for WandaVisionaries, where we break down the latest episode of WandaVision. This is episode 8, Previously On, which is probably the most apt title <laughs> that we've had so far. Yeah, we we got a we got ourselves a Christmas tale episode. <laughs> Ghost of Marvel's past. Ghost of Marvel's Ghost past. of Wanda past. Yeah, for real. And uh, as always, we're marking full spoilers for this episode of WandaVision, as with all episodes of WandaVision, because there's pretty much nothing to talk about that isn't spoilers. Yeah, straight up. I mean. We we get our setup from last episode. Uh, Wanda's in the basement with Agatha, powerless in a in a rune circle. Oh, actually, the cold open really was interesting. It's yes. uh, uh, ni- uh, sixteen ninety four, 
1690 something Salem witch times and we get like a big flashback for Agatha which when I saw yeah. I was really hoping that it was going to be Agatha flashback episode and not Wanda flashback episode but you know we That would have been we cool get. too an Agatha episode Yeah you know we we got a little bit of information that she was you know from the 1600s in America from a coven of witches that she apparently betrayed. Uh, oh, quick shout mother. out to the... Yeah, her mother is the coven leader, it looks like. Quick shout out to the purple Marvel logo at the beginning. I thought that was a nice little that you know, slope cool. into it. Yeah. No, I, I, I really like the cold open, and then it just became a... I, it's not a clip show because it's not old footage, but it's. it felt like a lot of information we already knew, but this time told visually... Yeah, there's uh, you know the the old Stark Industries bomb that killed the Maximov parents. We get to see like her actual like her powers emerging back at the old Hydra base. Well, with the bomb thing, it's it's implied a little bit that she was born with powers. This is before she got experimented on. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, she managed that... to slow the bomb. Agatha it. calls it her hex something, isn't that right? It, it's a it's a probability hex, she calls it. So yeah, not just implied, straight up Agatha says, it's clear that you were born with powers and that they would have laid dormant if the Mind Stone had not come and like activated them, essentially. Which makes me very curious if we're going to get an explanation as to why Quicksilver was able to withstand the... Is he also a witch or something? Like, what's the deal with that? Yeah. But, yeah, the two revelations here are that, one, Wanda seemingly was born with some kind of witch inclination, and two, that Hayward was lying and that Wanda did not take the Vision's body. Yeah, our our weekend at Bernie's is crumbling. What happened? It's so sad, although, like, it's still weird, creepy, disassembled Vision in a lab, which was still unsettling it's yeah seeing that over the head shot of all of his body parts like separated but kind of where they're supposed to be in terms of like proximity to each other is very creepy i never liked hayward no hayward is hayward all my homies hate hayward (laughs) that's true i do hate them he's he's playing with things that are gonna get him burned man yeah and i did i really genuinely did like the moment where Wanda and Vision have that connection at the Avengers compound because I feel like that's some much needed chemistry that we get to see between those characters that is kind of like there is some of it, but it's kind of lacking in the older Avengers movies. I feel like, no, I I totally agree. This was good for, yeah, like James was saying, I totally agree. And now that it's like kind of the center of a whole show about it, there's a, yeah, there's more depth to it. Plus, you know, they they bonded over Malcolm in the middle. Yeah, that was that was interesting to see something like a sentient vibranium robot man laugh at Brian Cranston getting crushed by a house roof. But you know, apparently, eight it, billion dollars worth of vibranium. Yeah, oh my god, it's a lot. But which after after Wakanda opened its doors to the world. Don't you think that the price of vibranium probably tanked, right? Like stock-wise, Vib- like- <laughs> vibranium futures. They're not just sharing plummeted. the vibranium. <laughs> oh well, yeah, Hayward, you want to make it, some right? robo weapons? Like, we're we're here. We're cool with you. 
you ain't getting you're getting like a fraction of this vibranium. Yeah. I mean Baby steps. Baby steps indeed. But yeah, I um, was I was a little disappointed that I felt like while we did get some much needed insight into Wanda and Vision's relationship, I feel like nothing really happened this episode. Like we're at the same place story wise where we were at the end of last episode. Including literally not even a mention of Monica Rambo. Yeah, th- that uh, after credit scene led to nothing this episode. They're saving it for the ultimate episode. But you guys watched the last, the end credit scene on this one, right? Oh yes, uh-huh. I'm I'm checking now. With Dennis Caleb McCoy vision. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Caleb McCoy. That's what I was trying to come up with. Uh, who now? The, from the, Bill and the Ted, Garrigan robot from Bill and Ted. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh man, he he looked so weird as like the weird white vision. I don't like it. I don't like that at all. No, neither do I. <laughs> and it also really makes me question what Wanda's creating the vision out of now. If so if she's not actually reanimated his consciousness from his body, is is it just straight up has she created a consciousness out of thin air that she imagines to be vision? Because he was able to get outside of the hex. He was being pulled back in in that episode, but like... Not to mention... Well, they, they do drop the big C. Chaos magic. Oh, yes. yes. That's pretty big news. And they, that They drop that right at the end. Yeah, that she's the Scarlet Witch. And then before she can even finish saying witch, it cuts to the end credits. Like, there's no falling action in any of these episodes, but this is definitely the worst offender in that when finally something started to happen, it's like, nah, next week. <laughs> yeah, the kids are back. They're being choked by the neck. She, You know, she's revealing, you know, comic book names, Scarlet Witch. I don't, they never, I assume because of how they said it, they never really said that, those words in the movies, did they? I really had thought they said it in Me too. Civil War, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I really thought they were going to go somewhere with the whole cicada and rabbit thing. Like, Well, they, they did. Kinda... They did. They went somewhere weird with it. Bunny ate the cicada that she's showing well, off with her... The whole, with, with her, like, torturing this poor animal. Oh, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, she turns it into a bird and feeds it to a rabbit. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I meant more of, like, I thought she had turned like the boys the twins into the animals or we were finally gonna get a reveal about her damn husband who i don't even think is real anymore which is a shame (laughs) ricardo say it because i'm not gonna say it so you've got to say what's going on with her husband yeah he's mephisto right (laughs) ralph is mephisto it's possible i mean we got one episode they're gonna make it a banger you know, they're going to have to do something big, and it's either going to be Mephisto, or Doctor Strange is going to show up, or... Well, allegedly, know. Paul Bettany, not that we can trust anything that anybody says, but Paul Bettany says that Doctor Strange isn't the big cameo in the last episode, which oh. I don't necessarily believe. It's just like when they said, it's not Endgame, it's not called Endgame, it's not Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah... Yeah, we'll 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 see. I mean, you know, last episode, then we're getting our, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. God knows if they're going to try to connect more up from WandaVision into that. I'm sure they'll sprinkle it in, but this episode was built up. It, it seemed like a stepping stone, and if they're not going to well, go hard, on. what you got? Yeah, you're right. It didn't really advance story-wise. I, don't, I like this one just because it's a, a character thing for Wanda. I really like the TV through line they gave her through her back 
I, uh, through her flashbacks. I actually really like that, too. Just, like, how they showed them practicing English with the family. You know, TV night. The dad is, like, smuggling in these TV shows to, like, make ends meet. It's It adds a lot to the... Like, I feel like... I don't know if we really got any first-hand information, but we definitely all theorized, like, oh, yeah, she that's how she learned her English in an Eastern European war-torn country like Sokovia. That's, like, kind of what a lot of people did in the real world when they were able to get their hands on American television and movies. That's, like, a good confirmation of those through lines. Plus, I think I had that Dick Van Dyke box set at one point, and that was really great to see. Oh, I'm jealous, Seamus. That's... It was... Whew, what a show. Oh, what that is a terrific show. Especially I was surprised to see it was her favorite because that was the one that was the least explicitly referenced in all yeah. of the episodes. It I it did almost feel a little weird to get such a peek behind the curtain of like, here are all of the real world TV shows that we've been spoofing for an entire season of television. But Yeah, it, it felt a little on the nose, but you they know. could like show footage from these shows, like legitimately and i had less of a problem with the footage and more of a problem with like here is my case full of dvds look <laughs> it's a pristine copy of bewitched season two yeah that's fair but yeah i mean like honestly i felt like it was kind also, of enough we find out how she ends up at westview oh yeah that oh was yeah very that's... sad oh my god and like how the hex is created is just out of devastation that she's lost vision and so did vision buy the house did they buy the house together and presumably, it was a real house five years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I assumed it was oh. uh, Vision bought it because he wrote a little note with a heart, which I'm now, I guess, somehow connecting to the heart on the calendar in the first couple episodes, maybe. Oh, that's 100% it. Yeah, you yeah. think so? Seamus, no, 100%. I saw it as like he had bought that land where the house was supposed to be and they were going to build it together. Yeah, just yeah, kind of create has... a normal life. It has, like, a foundation already. I don't know, maybe they were... Yeah, I don't know. I th- I, I read it as... Th- like, clearly, Westview has been torn apart by the last five years. Like, that is in that is inherent in the visuals that we see as she drives through the neighborhood. And so, I read it as there was a house here that they were... That they bought to live in, and in the five years that she was snapped and he was dead, it got demolished. Yeah, maybe, and then she's just at, like, the ruins of what would have been her life if never everything wasn't taken from her. And that is really the first moment that I have felt the weight of her saying that to Thanos. Yeah, truly. So, I agree with Ricardo. Good episode for Wanda's character. Aggravated that this show refuses to, like, move plot forward other than a last-minute cliffhanger at the end of every episode. I do have one new question that I just kind of came up with that is making me trust Hayward less and less. He lied about trying to recover Vision's body, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, he lied. He indicated that Wanda had Vision in there. And, like, that was their whole thing. It's like, we gotta recover it so that, like, we can make sure it's safe and, like, study it and whatever. What is, what is he doing there? Like, if it, if it was just about saving the town, he would have just said that. Why is he lying about it? <laughs> well, he, wa- he wants to use Vision as a weapon and he's scared of wanda like it's that she's a threat oh so it's more of like a okay an assassination i guess he did shoot a missile that that is true he did straight up try to missile her family yeah yeah i guess that makes more sense more of just like a (laughs) i can't use my new toy until i get this lady out of the way who's gonna rip my head off 
if I if I try. Yeah, the introduction of White Vision really sets up that this finale is going to be devastating. Is his is the is his name White Vision? Well, that's what I'm calling him. That's what I think everyone calls White him. Vi- it's just Vision, uh, yeah. but White, and that's uh, sure. It's, it's from the comics. Oh, where, perfect then. You know, it, in typical comic fashions, stuff happens. I think Vision dies, and he comes back. But it comes back as white vision, but it's vision without any of the personality. So he's just pure, cold, calculating robot. Interesting. So we got like that's also what that's what adds to Wanda going nuts in the comics because oh, Vision's back, but he doesn't remember who I am. He's not any of the things he was before, but he's still walking around acting like he's Vision. Damn, that is horrible. Maybe you know we'll see her try to merge the two. Maybe we'll see a Vision versus Vision showdown. I don't know. It's like you said, this last episode is going to be real dark if that's, you know, we got Terminator Vision coming in. It'll be interesting to see. I'm excited for the finale. Now, hope we get one final theme song. Yeah. Uh, me think too, so, right? but I don't know if we're going to get one. Now it's time to save the rec center where we give you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you got? Um, On your. I think just personal recommendation, Garrett. And granted, I'm not finished with it yet, but I'm so I'm so fascinated by it that it is my rec center. Colin Trevorrow's early draft of Star Wars Episode Nine: Duel of the Fates is oh yeah, it's blowing my mind, man. I there's so many interesting ideas in here that like if you're like me and you were disappointed with a lot of how they ended the Skywalker saga, if you wanted to go back and check out something like, you know, just a what could have been scenario, I think that it is incredibly fascinating to see, you know, a different take on what an ending like this could be. And, you know, it's just out there on the internet. So if scripts read very fast, if you, if you want to just get a little Star Wars itch scratched, if you didn't like how Abrams finished off that trilogy, give this a read and it'll definitely, it'll do something for you, you know? Yeah, I don't know if I would ever necessarily say that it's a better ending than episode nine because so much changes from a script to a finished film, but I definitely am interested in the ideas at play. I think it does a much better job of feeling like it's bringing in the entire Star Wars saga. Like, prequels, original trilogy, and sequels all kind of coming into one than 9 does. Yeah, it's an interesting... I'm, I'm excited to hear your full thoughts, Seamus. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely let you know, because I'm, I'm in the thick of it right now, and it's it's very it's very interesting. I, I Some of the very specific choices they're going for... I, I want to say this was written uh, maybe even before The Last Jedi was released. It was pretty early, but, you know, a lot of very cool ideas in here. Give it a shot. I am also going to rec center something Star Wars this week. I have gotten about a quarter of the way through Light of the Jedi, the new High Republic Star Wars novel. And I'd already read the uh, Test of Courage, which was like the young adult High Republic book that they came out with a couple months ago. And it was pretty good, but this one is just blowing me out of the water. It feels so cinematic and like Star Wars while also giving a new take on the Republic as a whole. Obviously, it's set a few hundred years before the Skywalker saga, so things are kind of different. Um, there's rumors about this new technology called Bacta that everybody <laughs> thinks might be some some kind of new miracle miracle drug. Uh, but it's a really fascinating time. It has a devastating opening. I I am really excited to keep reading it. I'm really excited to read the other High Republic stuff. And 
if you are a Star Wars fan that's looking for something not connected to the Skywalkers, I'm looking at you, Ricardo. This is definitely <laughs> worth your time. I, I've definitely been meaning to check out that High Republic stuff. Uh, so, like, I'm I'm pumped for this. If you say it's it's as good as it is, do, would you say that it's important to read that young adult publication no. before? This is more, you can just jump right in this one you're reading now. The way they're kind of doing it is they are all interconnected, but it's so far at least the way I understand it is the comics. Like, you can just kind of read the comics, you can just kind of read the young adult books, or you can just kind of read the adult books, and the if anything, I would say that the young adult book is gonna give you more, like, kind of, it's of a companion to the adult b- book, The Light of the Jedi. Like, I would definitely read Light of the Jedi first, it just so happens that that's the order I got them from the library, so that's mm. the order I read them in. But, I mean, the young adult one's cool, too. Like, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from reading it. Right on, I'll definitely have to check that out. The high Republic, I think, is the future of really high-quality Star Wars stuff, so I'm, I, I need to get myself in gear. Ricardo, what do you Ricardo. got this week? That was adorable, Seamus. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, one of my my favorite comic runs, and that's Doctor Strange by Jason Aaron. That came out uh, around 2015, and re- it was kind of like a mini reboot for the character. Like Anyone can jump on at this point and get a full story, as long as you know like the general basics of what Doctor Strange is. And what really drew me to this one is like the art is fantastic. Like It's what Doctor Strange should be, it's all weird and trippy and metaphysical because, like, the art will, like, expand past panels and twists or around. So it really fits with the character. Uh, specifically, if you want to jump on board, start with The Last Days of Magic. Because another thing this run does, it kind of grounds him a little bit more. Where it, it introduces the concept that he can't just do magic whenever he wants. Magic has a cost. So it, he has to, like, part of him goes away. Like, it kind of sucks at his soul a little bit to the point where he can no longer eat regular food because it'll just turn to ash in his mouth he has to eat like interdimensional slug monsters or whatever fascinating it's fun and this particular storyline he's up against the empirical a cult uh, dedicated to science that has made it its mission to eradicate all magic from the world so we get to see more of a down and gritty dr strange trying to you know, fly by the seat of his pants. Damn, that is a really cool angle to go with something like that. So yeah, check these out if you're interested. That's, again, Doctor Strange by Jason Aaron. Uh, I personally have this run on two hardcovers. That's how much I love it. Oh, very nice. All right, well, I think that wraps us up for this week's pop culture reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on Instagram at that same handle. Like us on Facebook and you can also email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. I am super hyped. Next week we're going to be coming back with Coming to America and the WandaVision finale. So, really excited to talk about that with you gents next week. Yeah. Awesome. Real excited. See you next week, everybody. Adios, amigos. Bye-bye.